Welcome to the Bayside Church Weekly Message audio podcast, Frankston. So, are we ready to hear the Word of God this morning? Yay! Well, if I can ask you to open your Bibles to Romans 12, verse 2. Yay! And uh, because I'm a bit of a multitasker, I'm going to also ask you to, as you're doing that, to look at the screens. Thank you. God, I prayed for a husband. Why won't you bring him to me? Why does she get a promotion? Why haven't I got a promotion yet? Is he on his way yet? Lord Jesus, I pray that you part the cars in front of me. Ah, gonna be late. I'm a leader of this ministry. I don't think I should be getting my hands dirty. If you do this for me, God, I will never tell a lie again. I promise. Lord, I was baptized. Where is my blessing of obedience? Where is my parking spot? Right at the front. I'm a Christian. I'm not making them a coffee. I've worked hard for my degree. That car doesn't have a Jesus fish. Why don't they get a good spot? God, all of my friends are getting married. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. Please send me my Boaz. Lord, I don't live a crazy lifestyle. I serve at church, I'm in connect group, I tithe. So why am I getting what I want? Lord, you promised me long life. Why am I sick and suffering? Lord, why haven't you blessed me with a red Ferrari? I've prayed, I've asked, I've knocked. Don't you love me? (sighs) Too funny. I'm sure Hattie would like to know that God still loves him, even if he doesn't have a Ferrari just yet. Okay, well, I don't know about you, but I cringe when I hear some of those expressions. But if I was to confess to you, I have said one or two of them. And I don't know about you, but if I was to ask you the question, what are you entitled to? What comes to your mind? I would like us to read Romans 12 verse 2. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. This scripture tells us that we're not to conform to the pattern of this world, but rather we, need, we are to renew our mind. And as a church, I think it's really critical that we actually talk about some of the patterns that exist in our world. Because if we don't actually talk about them, and put them up against the microscope of the written word of God, it's so easy to swim with the tide. It's so easy to go where everyone else is going. If we don't give voice to them, it's harder not to swim upstream. And we're called to swim upstream in the opposite direction to some of the patterns of the world that are contrary to the word of God. And so this morning, I wanna bring to you a pattern that I see, particularly in our Western culture, although it's not limited to, a pattern that I see that I believe we need to put under the microscope of the Word of God. And so this morning, my message is called The Entitlement Trap. Now, I've been privileged to have travelled around the world, both for holidays, but also for missions trips. And I have to say, every time that I have visited a developing country or a third world nation, I am completely just so grateful for how much we have here in Australia. Things like running water, 
a toilet that you can sit on, for starters. Things that we just take for granted, amazing resources that are at our fingertips. Cooling, for example. You know, I've been to a church where out in the middle of nowhere in, in Mozambique, not a single thing except a straw hut and the worship that came out of this little church in a straw hut, there wasn't a single musical instrument, but the voices that I heard in that church completely overwhelmed me. So I'm always, whenever I come back from visiting a, a country like that, I'm always amazed at how much we have here. Things like schools, medical benefits, social security benefits, housing. We have so much available here in Australia. And I, I'm always thankful to God. But I also am aware it's easy to get stuck into the routine of life. And you just kind of accept that those things that we have, they're always here. And they're kind of our right to have. You know, those rights start to get communicated to us from a very early age. We grow up believing that we can be and do whatever we want in our life, that we will have a long life, that in those years we'll make something of ourselves, that we will find a job that we absolutely love, that we will meet Mr. and Mrs. Wright and have 2.5 children and go on to have and have grandchildren, and that we will have a comfortable life. Yes, there may be one or two tough times in life, but by and large, life is about being happy and being comfortable. So we're told this and we grow up thinking this and thinking that it will all kind of fall into place, that this is our right and this is what society, and dare I even say it, God, owes us. Now, I'm not saying having any of those things are not right. However, if anything comes into our thinking that we are owed this, coupled with the fact that we live in a society that's all about upgrading to be happy, I think can, can contribute to a very entitled mentality. Now, an entitled mentality is not something that just the young possess. It can affect anyone at any age. But the fact of the matter is that there are millions of people who don't live like this. I came across a blog when, when I was preparing this message by a guy by the name of Tim Everton. He's a youth worker. And his blog called Born with a Sense of Entitlement, something really stood out to me. And I just want to read you this quote. There have been millions on earth who have never experienced the love of a true parent or even the companionship of a single true friend. There have been countless numbers who have been born and raised in slavery and still are. There are many this very day who sift through garbage dumps daily for food and live short and sick lives. Where are their rights? Where is their comfy, warm house, meat and two veg on the table, their 90 years and their soft retirement package? It's a great question and it's a poignant question. So this morning, I wanna ask the question, what is entitlement and how does it creep into our Christian thinking and behavior particularly? Well, the definition of entitlement is this. It's the condition of having a right to have do or get something. The feeling or belief that you deserve to be given something such as a special privilege. You know, straight up I can tell you that God does not treat us as we deserve. Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 3 says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, 
in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. You know, before we can talk about good news, we actually need to know what the bad news is. The bad news is that we were deserving of wrath. We were considered enemies of God. Because of our sinful nature, it could not be in the presence of a holy God. But here comes the good news. God didn't want to leave us in that way. And because of his incredible compassion and mercy towards us, he turned this around. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 to 10, it says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Do I hear a hallelujah to that? Amen. He desired, God desired that we would live with him, that we would not be separated. But the sin issue had to be dealt with. And so let's think about what God did. God asked his one and only son to face not only the most humiliating death, but rejection. He was despised. He would be separated. And he did that for you and for me. And so just so the sin issue could be dealt with and so that you and I could have the option of living with God forever. You know, salvation is not something we deserve. We haven't worked for it and we haven't earned it. And in actual fact, there is nothing you can do to work for your salvation. The gift is freely given to us if we choose to receive it. Anyone here receive the gift of salvation? Great. And for those who haven't raised their hands, I'll give you an opportunity at the end of this service to receive the gift. But for those who just raised their hand, that's fantastic news. Now, consider yourself dead. What do I mean by that? Well, Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. If you belong to Jesus, if you've chosen to surrender to his lordship and have come into a relationship with him, then you have actually chosen to die to self. You have chosen to die to entitlement and your passions and your fleshly desires. That's why baptism is such a powerful declaration. When someone chooses to go through the waters of baptism, it means they're choosing to die to their self as they go through the, down in the waters but they're raised to a new life in Christ. It's a powerful declaration. And when we do that, it says something to God. You know, if you've never been baptized, I encourage you that you can, you can choose to do that at any time. All you need to do is, is call the office at, at Bayside and, and we will put you down for our next baptism service. It's an amazing, powerful declaration when we choose to follow Christ. So we come to God. We're fully accepted by God. We have a relationship now with God. But God doesn't want to leave us the way we are. 
And I don't know about you, but certainly when I came to God, I was pretty blah. There was a whole lot of stinking thinking in me and it's still work, getting worked through. I had attitudes. I had stuff to work through. And God loves me too much to leave me in that state. So although I do not need to work for my salvation because I am fully accepted and loved by God, what I do now need to do is walk with Christ each and every day and die to myself. And God, by his grace, works with me to become more and more like his son in character. Now, here's one of the problems that I see. As Christians, we often read John 10.10, which says that God has come, well, Jesus has come to give us life and to live it more abundantly. And I have seen over years that people interpret that as sort of a package of physical blessings and creature comforts. They think, beauty, I'm now a Christian, it's all going to come with a nice house and a car and, and, you know, all these promotions and benefits. However, that's not necessarily always the case because we live in this world where there is still trials and temptations. And if anything, we're probably more of a target of it because now we are God's kids. You know, abundant living actually needs to be broadened out. Abundant living, in my mind, is experiencing the presence of God. No money can, put, can you know, be put on that. It's experiencing his healing, his, the forgiveness of sins, peace, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Despite if you go through a trouble or a trial, you can have peace. Joy, the joy that gives us strength to keep going on. The mere knowledge that God is watching over us, that he'll never leave us. And the fact that he does provide for our needs, not necessarily all of our wants. And as parents, I'm sure any parents here in the house would know that if you give your children everything they want, it doesn't necessarily make for a happy child. It sometimes leads to a spoilt child. Sometimes we just need to realize that just having God in our life is enough and is living life more abundantly. And it's something that I think that we can easily lose sight of. And I know that the children of Israel definitely lost sight of it. You know, for for many years, they were complaining and groaning to God, crying out to God to release them from slavery and bondage in Egypt. And God heard their prayer and sent a deliverer in the form of Moses. And Moses leads them out of Egypt supernaturally. The hand of God is all over it. And he leads them towards a promised land that he says God has prepared for them, a land of milk and honey. Now, what should have been a two-week journey ended up being a 40-year plight. A few attitudinal issues, I believe, along the way. 40 years of roaming around in the wilderness. And, you know, when the time finally came where this promised land is there and God says to Moses, okay, the time is now soon. Round up some men. Go into the land that I'm about to give you so you can check it out for yourself. And Moses does that. He rounds up 12 leaders and he sends them in and he says, come back with a report and tell us what the land looks like. And this is the report that was given. Thank you, Mark. Today, 12 undercover spies return from a mission to investigate the promised land. 
It's reported that they discovered the land does flow with milk and honey. There's ample fruit for everyone. However, the report has come back that people that live there are powerful. The cities are fortified and very large. There are descendants of Anak living there, not to mention the Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea. Consensus is that the promised land is too hard to conquer. In fact, if we go in, our lives are doomed. Two spies beg to differ and believe the land can be conquered. The question on everyone's lips, is this challenge too hard and is the promised land worth it? Is the promised land worth it? Out of the 12 spies, 10 believed the promised land was not worth it. And why? I believe the reason why is I believe they felt entitled to that land without having to do anything. They didn't believe that God was big enough to partner with them to actually fight against the Hittites, the Amorites, all those people that they saw that were bigger than themselves. You know, the promises of God are yes and amen, but that doesn't mean that we all personally don't have our own Hittites and Amorites to conquer. We all do. We all have our own enemies to conquer. And when we choose to believe what God says and we go and we step out with God, he makes a way. You know, often the question needs to be is, do we want to get there without having to do anything? You know, the problem that I see with entitlement is that it breeds laziness, fear, victimization, feelings of deprivation, resentment, and mistreatment. You know, the 10 spies actually preferred to go back to Egypt in slavery, in bondage, than to grab a hold of the future that God had for them. How sad that actually is. After 40 years of roaming around in the wilderness, they still just didn't get it that God was more concerned about their character, about getting Egypt out of them, than them having some few creature comforts and everything being easy. Your promised land is going to take some work, a kind of I'll do whatever it takes kind of attitude, rather than I'm just owed this. It's going to take surrendering your plans, your expectations and entitlements, and actually allowing God to shape them. And as you trust him, watch him unfold in the process. You know, I see Joseph in the Bible had to do this. If you have your Bibles, let's just turn to Matthew 1. And we're going to read um, from verses 18 to 24. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. That's a pretty incredible story. Let's just imagine this for a second. Here we have 20-year-old Joseph, and the Bible tells us he's a righteous man. So pretty much he's a guy that is running his life by the book. He's doing everything right by Jewish law. And he's betrothed to Mary, who's about 14, 15 years of age. Now in these days, a betrothal was seen as a far more serious commitment than an engagement is today. You were considered, you, you had to be part, you had, sorry, you had to be partnered with someone for at least a year and pay a bridal price. So Joseph would have had to pay the family some money. And you were considered pretty much partnered apart from not consummating the actual um, union. So pretty much seen as married, but without the fun stuff, if you kind of see it that way. So it was a serious commitment. Now in this time of betrothal, if anyone had a sexual advance to anyone else in this time, well, then it was considered as adultery, not fornication. So here comes Mary, comes to Joseph and tells him that she's with child. Now, the scripture doesn't say that she's with child by the Holy Spirit. We don't know if she said that to Joseph. But let's imagine if even if she did tell Joseph, I'm, I'm carrying a child and it's been conceived by the Holy Spirit. I'm sure he would have thought she had lost a few tunes that she was not quite right in mind. But right there, Joseph's world comes crashing down around him. Here is a man who's lived his life by the book and done everything right, and the one person he's waiting to be married to, Mary, who he thought was a good girl, is pregnant with child. In the power of his hands, is he can choose to have Mary stoned. He has that choice at his fingertips. He can either choose to have her stoned under Jewish law or he can put her away publicly or privately. So I imagine Joseph would have been sitting there thinking, what on earth did I do to deserve this? And I'm sure he would have gone to God and said, God, I have lived my whole life right. I've gone to synagogue every week. I read your word. I know your word off by heart. I give my money to the poor, I tithe, I do everything right, I've lived my life by the book, and this has happened to me. I'm sure there are Christians who you know who maybe have been raised all their life in church and done the right thing, and then something's happened in their world, and they've kind of questioned, what did I do to deserve this? What, what has happened that I have to have this happen in my life? You know, I believe Joseph probably thought he was entitled to someone who was a righteous, God-fearing woman. And he thought Mary was that. He didn't feel entitled to having someone who was going to bring him shame. He had a certain expectation. And you can see in the scripture, he actually had come to the conclusion of putting Mary away quietly. So he was a, he was a good man in the sense that he wasn't going to stone her and he wasn't going to publicly shame her. He, was, he had made the decision to put her away quietly. But he felt entitled not to have a woman like that and be married to her. And then an angel rocks up and challenges all of that. You know, right there, Joseph has to make a decision. 
He didn't expect the angel to tell him that the child was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but he heard. So Joseph does make a decision, and I believe he makes a righteous decision, not an entitled one. Joseph actually chose to forego his entitlement, realizing it or not that for the rest of his life, he would live with the shame in the community that his wife had either slept with someone else or that he had slept with her during that time of betrothal. There would always be in the community snickering and gossip and that he would have to live with that for the rest of his life. And his life wouldn't be comfortable. You know, I believe Joseph's reward is knowing that he raised and protected the Son of God, who would then become his own personal saviour and the rest of the world's. What an awesome reward to have. All because he chose to forego his entitlement. And I believe when we choose to forego entitlement, it doesn't just affect us. It actually has a ripple effect and touches other people's lives. So, what do we need to do to protect this mentality from creeping into our own attitudes and our own behaviour? Well, I believe there are four things that the scripture tells us that we can start to walk out in our lives to guard, safeguard us from entitlement. The first is servanthood. Matthew 20 verses 26 to 28 says, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, if you want to have an amazing church community here, if you want to stand out from the rest of the world, which is all focused on I, then serve. That's the principal way is to serve. Look at how you can give to others rather than what you can get yourself. Think about how you can bless others. And don't always do it for reward. Do it knowing that your heavenly Father sees it. The second thing is work. It's a dirty word in some, some people's minds, but work. Proverbs 13.25 says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. You know, I made mention earlier that our salvation is, is something that we cannot work for. There is nothing you can do in order to be saved. It's not by works. If you have received the gift of salvation, that is fantastic. Everything from then, I have to say, takes work. You know, we talk about today, church unite and unity. Believe me, the amount of work that has gone on for the past eight months to bring this one event together has been phenomenal. And I've been a part of that process. It takes a lot of putting aside your own attitudes. And sometimes you don't always connect, especially because we're working with other churches. We don't always agree. But it's actually working towards the common goal. It takes work to have a good marriage. It takes work to keep your job. It takes work to get ahead. Don't expect to just do the bare minimum and think that you'll be rewarded for it when you're paid for just doing that. I'm talking about your work scenarios. If you want to be seen, go above and beyond. The third trait that I see that we, we can adopt is humility. 
James 4 verse 6 says, but he gives more grace. That is why the scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know, entitlement to me sounds arrogant. It sounds very concerned with just self. And if you think you're more deserved than anyone else, maybe that should be the check as to whether you are being humble in that situation. And lastly is contentedness. Philippians 4 verses 12 to 13. I have learned the secret of being content in and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. You know, I was listening to Talkback Radio on Friday and I think it was John Fain and he was talking about the fact that it's really easy to whine and complain. All the people who ring up on Talkback Radio complain about all the things that are wrong in society. He, and he actually used these words and I wanted to quote it this morning. He said, we have a gratitude deficit. And I think he's spot on. We have a gratitude deficit. It's very easy to complain and whine about what's wrong. But if you're not actually contributing towards helping a solution, then I don't think anyone has a right to complain. Contentedness is where God wants us to be. When I was in Mozambique and I walked into that hut and I saw these incredible people worshipping and praising God who had nothing, I saw contentedness. It starts with counting our blessings. That's where it starts. And it starts with just counting the blessing of existence. The very fact that you exist is a blessing. Maybe next count the fact that you've got air in your lungs. That's a blessing. And start to work through every part of your body that is actually working and functioning and thank God for that. Then start to thank what the things that are in your world, friends and family, church community, work, whatever it may be. Start to be grateful and content with the many blessings God has poured out, with you, poured out of you. You know, life isn't always fair and it's always easy to compare your life to someone else. And you may wonder, well, why have they got it easy and I don't? I don't have the answer to that. But what I do know is that we each have our own race to run. And God's calling us to be content in that race and to fix our eyes upon him as we're doing it. Lastly, the Bible speaks of, of the fact of coming alongside those who are weak and doing it tough. And I believe as a church community, we need to do that. When we know people in our community are doing it tough, we need to come alongside and encourage and do what we can to help. But can I say, as we do that in the process, that we don't then create, we don't breed entitlement in that person. It's always wonderful to help another person to fix their eyes on Jesus and to see how they can then in turn help and bless someone else. Can I ask the, um, the band or the, the keyboardist, thank you, Sonia, to come up. You know, to be a true disciple of Jesus requires us to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and to follow him. It's certainly not a pattern of this world that is promoted. I believe carrying an attitude of entitlement actually has a cost. You know, every cause has an effect. And I came across this quote and I want to leave you with. Man is not by nature deserving of all that he wants. When we think that we are automatically entitled to something, that is when we start walking all over others to get it.
And I think that is so true. My prayer this morning is that if we see this attitude working in our own lives, that we take it to God and we ask Him, ask Him for His forgiveness and we ask Him to help us. You know, Jesus didn't use any of His entitlements as the Son of God while He was here on earth, but rather He denied Himself. He left us an example to follow. Let's make sure that we actually do. Amen. Can I ask every head to bow, please? While every eye is shut for privacy and every head bowed, I mentioned earlier that there will be an opportunity to receive the gift of salvation. And you know, I can say that this is the best gift in the world. It trumps birthdays, anniversaries, Christmas. It trumps every gift you could possibly receive because it's not something you could ever buy or work for. And the gift is that you can live with God forever. That beyond this life, you can live with Him. That you can start right now to have a relationship with Him. God is your creator. He created you. He knows every part of you. He knows how you're wired. And He desires to have relationship with you, which is why He chose to send His one and only Son to pay the price for everything that you've ever done wrong that has separated you from Him. And so this morning, I just want to give an opportunity if you would like to receive that gift of salvation, I would love to pray with you. So if there's anyone here this morning who would like to receive that gift, if you can just by way of acknowledging just to me, just lift up your hand, that would be great. Is there anyone who would like to receive that gift? Just gonna take a moment. It's the best gift you can receive. Okay. Well, Father, we just thank you for your morning in your house. And I pray for every person here who has heard this word. And Lord, I pray by your spirit that you will highlight to each one of us what is applicable to us. Lord, that we may be not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. And I pray that as we leave, that we will be that blessing that Jesus is to us, that we will go and we will carry the fragrance of Christ everywhere we go. In the name of Jesus, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this weekly message audio podcast. If you'd like to listen to more messages and find out more information, check out our website at www.baysidechurch.com.au. Church has changed. Check it out.